Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Luke's Gospel brings out the same context, but includes the question where the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, John the Baptist is teaching his people how to pray. Teach us how to pray. We've been talking about how to increase our effectiveness, seven elements of an effective prayer. But more than, more than just a prayer, it's also increasing the effectiveness of your prayer life. Don't let prayer be the only time that when you run into a crisis, you pray. It's, it's part of your communication, your relationship with the Lord. Some people are like, man, I can only pray five minutes. I don't know how anybody prays for hours. Well, we're, we've been going through on some elements on how to increase that effectiveness of your prayer life, not only in quality, but also in quantity, if you want to pray longer. How do, how do you do that? And so it doesn't have to be a mystery. You don't have to stand there and say, Jesus, 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 for two hours. Although you do that, something's going to change. Amen. Because there's no other name like the name of Jesus. Can I get a better amen than that? I'll make you a deal. You work with me, I'll work with you, and we'll be at brunch before the Baptist. Come on, somebody. That's a good deal. You drag your feet. I'll wait. The Holy Ghost will work on you. I'll wait. I'll just declare it's going to be a fast for me. I'm just going to wait. and we'll, no. So the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Which I love that in quick review. I love that because, one, they were hungry to know for themselves. Be careful of any mindset that teaches you you don't have to experience God for yourself or know God for yourself. Just come along for the ride and I'll take care of the rest. That happens in the church world a lot. And that could obviously happen in this time frame. Because if, you, if there's anybody that you can trust to handle your prayer request, it would be Jesus himself. If I got a problem, I'll ask Jesus to pray for me. I'll ask Jesus to do the praying. Because he never prays amiss. He gets the answers to his prayer. I don't, I don't need to know how to pray. I'll let Jesus pray for me. And some of us have grown up in the church world, and we praise God for sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so who are anointed and called and, and, and have an amazing prayer life. But if we're not careful, we'll depend on somebody else to be praying for where we're at. Now, it's okay in a certain, don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying it, that it's wrong to ask people to pray for you. It's not, and there's different types of prayer. And prayer of agreement's an important one. James talks about praying, the elders praying for the sick. So there's different types of prayer and different levels. But there is a place in your walk with God that it's not that everything that comes down your road, you have to call somebody to pray for you because what if that somebody, though anointed important, what if they're on vacation and they just turn their phone off? How dare them turn their phone off? It's 3 a.m. I know it's late, but I need prayer. They might want to sleep too. And so it's important for us to grow in the things of God so we can learn to pray. Because Jesus did not correct them and say, guys, don't ask me that question. I do all the praying in this organization. Nope. And he didn't say, guys, you know, you don't need to know how to pray. Just whatever you feel, just go with the flow. If you feel it emotionally and it makes you cry or scream a little louder, that's good enough. God understands. And God does understand. He knows everything. Before you said it, he knew it. He knows your heart. But he also told us that, hey, listen, if you seek first the kingdom of God, how the king does stuff, then all these things will be added unto you. Amen. So maybe it's not, hey, I'm a better person or I need to try to be a better person. Maybe it's, I just need to know how to get this car started. I can lay my hands on that car. I can speak over that car. I can sit on that car. I can wait for that car. But until I know how to use the key and activate that car right. and put it in gear, it's not going anywhere. Can I get an Amen. amen. And so the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, a lot of times, and 
And this is where some of us have come through the church world, and we were taught to memorize this verse and use this verse in prayer as the, the prayer for any type of situation. And you see that even played out in movies today. They all run into a problem. Let's pray. And what do they start doing? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we've taken the position, and if you disagree, you can still disagree. But I'm telling you that if you look at this, you'll find that it's more than you reciting a prayer. For Jesus said in verse 9, Matthew 6, verse 9, if you're not there yet, that's okay. Close your Bible and act like you've been there for a while. You're not going to find it. After this manner, say manner. Which you could say type. After this template, after this manner, therefore pray. So he wasn't saying recite the prayer. He said learn from the ingredients of this prayer. And we've talked about, what is it? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first part of a powerful prayer and also increasing your prayer time is learning to not start with the request, start with the worship. Start with the praise and worship. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Begin to worship our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Before I'm going to ask, before I'm going to plead, before I'm going to um, make my petition known, I'm going to worship you for who you are. When you begin to understand who he is, that will change the whole dynamic. Because sometimes, many times, what the devil tries to do in our lives is to get us to have a wrong filter system, mindset, perception, if you will, of who our Heavenly Father is. And we'll begin to look at someone who's up there just waiting for us to make a mistake and judge us, and he's not wanting to give us anything, and he's stingy. And that's not the heart of your Father. Jesus said there is none good but one. If you who are evil, and it doesn't mean that we're evil, but comparing us to God, we're all evil. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Heavenly Father. And so your Heavenly Father loves, He delights in giving you the kingdom. He wants you to have it. In fact, what you have to understand, and we'll get into that in a few seconds, is that everything you'll ever ask, He's already provided. That every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. That he's provided us all things, the Bible says. Please challenge everything I say with the word of God on your own time. He's provided us all things that pertains to life and godliness. He is not going to. He has already. He's prepared a table for you in the midst of your enemies. On earth, in the midst when you have people that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy, he has already provided a table provision. And what we have to understand and open up is the goodness of our Heavenly Father. And when you do that by getting into his presence and beginning to worship him. Amen. Not just seeing, not just saying you're a great God, but get to know who he is. Yes. And bless his name. The names of God were... were demonstrating the nature of our Heavenly Father. El Shaddai, Elohim, Jireh. These are Old Testament names that God would reveal and give, them to, give to his people in Hebrew that would want them to remember who I am as a nature. Because when God gives, are you listening to me? When your Heavenly Father gives, he doesn't give what he has. He gives of who he is. Yeah. So if you're praying, God, I need a financial blessing. If you came up to a friend and said, man, I am short on some cash. I need you to spot me. I need you to help me. You're looking for them to take something they have and release it to you. Right. And are like, I'm sorry, I'd love to help you, but I can't. I don't have anything with me to give to you. Oh, okay, no, I appreciate you at least trying. But God doesn't give what he has. He gives of who he is. So he just doesn't have money. He's a, he is the blesser. 
He is the healer. So if you're like, Lord, I, I got a right eye that's having problems and I'm losing some vision and then the doctor says it's not looking good and it could be something. And God, I don't know how you're going to work this out. You don't understand. He's not looking for a right eye in heaven to fix it and replace it. He is the healer. So he gives of himself. And wherever he goes, are you listening to me? He is all sufficient. He is all sufficient. So if I was going to give you this Bible... He would take the Bible, and he has it. Now I don't have it. But when God gives you that Bible, hold it, he does not let go of it. Because he doesn't give what he has. He gives of who he is. So what I need more than what I think he has is who he is. Because if I get into his presence on who he is, see, when you, when you hang out with rich people that are generous, you shouldn't have lack. So when you hang out with God who's light, John 1, darkness begins to flee. When you hang out with God, when you hang out in the presence of God and get to worship him and know him as the healer, that means he's, he's not saying, ooh, I got, I got a healing over here. He is healing. He is life. He is joy. He is peace. It's not he, he has it to give it. He will share it freely because he gives of himself. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is his name. Verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second part of our prayer ingredient element, if you will, is when you move from worship, we need to come into alignment. It's a priority thing. This is not a quick thing that you need to go over in passing. This is literally a great point for you to pause and begin to say, Lord, I want to make sure I'm in alignment with you. I just don't want to do my thing and ask you to bless it and put your name to it. Oh, God, here's my to-do list I want done. I ask you to help me be successful in everything that I want to do. And God, here's what I'm asking for. Make it happen in Jesus' name. No, it's coming to alignment. And God wants you to have stuff. He just doesn't want stuff to have you. And the thing is the, the perspective, the priority is the alignment. The alignment. God, am I in alignment with you? Yeah. Jesus said it this way. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask. Why? Because we, don't, we have to tie our prayer request before we get to it with the truth of the word of God. Exactly. Well, I know it's somewhere in the Bible. You're not in alignment because you don't even know what the Bible says. If you don't know what the Bible says, you'll begin to say and pray and believe some weird stuff that didn't seem weird at the time because the devil deceived us in believing that. And we thought, though, oh, wait, wait a minute, you know, God's going to get glory out of my hard time. Where is that in the Bible? You can't ask God to heal you, and the next day you're saying he's getting glory out of your pain, and the next day you're going to the doctor taking pain medicine. Pick a side. Just choose. Just choose. It's coming into alignment. Say alignment. alignment. Number three. We're moving quickly. Here we go. Buffet's not even open yet. We're getting set. Verse 11. Let me back up. Thy, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom. The order of God. Not my kingdom. His kingdom. I got to lay down my kingdom to follow his kingdom. His will be done. In the earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm beginning to get into alignment, which shows direction, but also shows quality and quantity. Yes. Don't pray God to help you make rent until you can find a scripture that says God's going to just give you enough to make rent. 
But there's no scripture that says God's just going to give you enough so you can, uh, all, all I have is enough for me and my son, and I'm going to make our last meal, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. That's what you call a bad plan, said the widow woman to the prophet of God. And he said, I'll tell you what to do. Let's change it up a little bit. Are you, let's change it up a little bit. Sometimes we need somebody to speak the word of God into our lives that will be in alignment with what God's already been dealing with us, to have that come alive into us, that wait a minute, I know you got a plan, let me change it up a little bit. Let's get some things in alignment. Because what, I'm about to, what God's about to do in your life is going to so change it. It's not, it's, it's not that you're going to have enough for a meal, enough for a day. I'm going to change your whole world, but we have to get some things in alignment. Mm. We did all, this is review, and we've done it on Sunday and on our daily broadcast, so you can check those out. Give us our day, our daily bread. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. At this point of making a request, you're not asking God for something that you think does not belong to you. Give us, you're my source. Give us this day. I want it now because faith is a substance. Now faith is. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the, the, the ownership. Give us this day our daily bread. I thank you, Father God, that you died on, you sent your son to die on the cross for me 2,000 years ago. First Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes I was healed. Past tense. Why? Because healing was provided at Calvary. So Matthew 15.26 tells me that healing is bread for the children. So it's not a matter of God, give me something that no, no, the prodigal son even understood enough that said, Father, I want my inheritance. His motives were wrong, but his method was still right. Because the father didn't say, you can't have it. The father said, you ask correctly, I'm giving it to you. Even though there's some stuff in your life that's not ready. And I'm not saying God's going to give you stuff that cause you to implode. But I want you to understand the process that he said, I want what belongs to me. I want my inheritance. It's not being rude with God. It's saying, I understand that what you have already provided belongs to me. Give me what belongs to me today. I'm not asking what belongs to my neighbor. I'm not asking what belonged to somebody a year from now. I'm asking, what do you have for me today, Father God? I... It's having that hunger and that tenacity on the inside. You begin to say, wait a minute, this belongs to me according to your word. And I take ownership of it today. I receive it. Mark 11, 23, 24. If you pray, if you believe that you have received it, that you will have it. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. And it's all of a sudden becoming the mentality. See, what gets some people upset is when they start thinking, oh, you shouldn't ask for too much. Listen, I, it's, I like to say it this way. If it's in the covenant of salvation and it belongs to you, do you want it? Yes. Right? It's not wanting what doesn't belong to you. Right. It's not wanting what other people have. Right. It's coming to the place of, God, I want to be who you've called me to be. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Right? I want to do what you've called me to do. Are you with me? Yeah. I want to live the way you've called me to live. I want to have what you've called me to have. Right. I, I want to help those who you've called me to help. Yes. Yes. I want to know what you've called me to know. See, what, see my point? It's not trying to 
come up with a crazy idea because you saw it on TV and say, ooh, that sounds like fun. No, it's coming through the revelation of worship and his word that realize that it already belongs to you. Yeah. And that the thief's come to steal, John 10, 10. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And you begin to say, wait a minute, a thief is not trying to give me something I don't want. A thief's trying to take something of value that I already have, right. even if I'm not aware of its value at the time. Right. Well, I'll trade you that. Oh, yeah, I don't think it's worth anything. You trade something of great value, not realize until later. Why did you let them tr trade you that? Well, it's just, it's just a baseball card. That baseball card's worth $100,000. Well, I didn't know it had value to it. Sometimes what happens is we don't realize the value that God's given us through his word, and we let the enemy trade us. Yeah. Mm. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Say, thank you, Father God. Again, we're not trying to trick God out of it. We're not trying to pressure God out of it. He, already, he wants us to have it, and we receive Hebrews 6.12 through faith and patience. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, this is something none of us like to mess with. But if we don't deal with it, it will mess with us. And again, I already taught on this, but let me just say it this way. Forgiveness does not mean that you deserve to have, have happened to you what happened to you. Right. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that they had a right to do or say what they did. Right. Forgiveness is not based on feeling. Yeah. Exactly. We obey by faith. Amen. Forgiveness is choosing, I am not going to tie myself to your wagon anymore. Yeah. Forgiveness does, that, does not mean you stay in the place of taking the abuse. Right. Right. Sometimes you need to love someone from afar. Can I get an amen? I love you, but it's going to be a long time before I see you again. I heard uh, a minister, actually it was Pastor Jesse, say something that just stuck with me. I thought, that was brilliant. He's, he, you know what I mean? If you're on TV a lot, you a lot of visibility. When you have a lot of visibility, people either like you or don't like you, and that's just, it is what it is. And so he said people would come up to him and say, I don't like you. Can you imagine telling someone you don't like them? He said hey, people come up and said, I, I just want to let you know, I don't like you. And he said he, he, the answer the Lord gave him one day, and, it's, and I thought, this is brilliant, because we've all had people come up and tell us that they don't like us. Right. If you haven't, you know what I mean? Maybe do more in life. I don't know. I get, I get the weirdest conversations with people. I get people that give me comments about my hair. <laughs> Literally. In public. I've never met them before. Sometimes they'll come up and say, oh, I like your hair. Okay, thank you. Some people are like, what's up with that? I'm eating dinner at a restaurant. I had one, one dear lady come up and say, what's the story? What story? There's got to be a story of that haircut. And I want to say, lady, you haven't changed your hairstyle in 70 years. You're like, what, what do we, who cares? So anyway, and so a person came up and said, I don't like you. And he looked at him and said, you're just not ready for me. Come on. I thought, that's good. Because you know what we do? We have a natural tendency of trying to change ourselves so that everybody likes us. But maybe they need to change yeah. to be able to be ready for you. Come on, somebody. Right. 
So forgiveness is not saying, okay, they had a right to do it, or I deserved it, or it should keep happening. Forgiveness is choosing to disconnect yourself from that poison. Because what happens is when you say, and we've all done this, man, I went through, I had to deal with this one. Man, growing up, that was just part of my temperament. If you hurt me, I'll get you. I'd be seven years old, and I would, I'd be 10 years old, and a teacher offend me, embarrass me, ooh, I would, if by the time it was over, I'd have that teacher, it might take me weeks, might take me months. But by the time it was over, they regretted. I'd have them crying. I was ornery. Man, I was, I was very, just the way I'm wired, I'm very strategic. <laughs> Sit there smiling. I'm, I'm monitoring this situation. I'm going to figure out your weakness, and I'm going to. I'd have, see, see we, no one starts off, right? We grow in this thing. But uh, you learn that, listen. The shame of it is if you've done, if someone's done you wrong, which is welcome to the world. Right, exactly. I don't know anybody who hasn't been done wrong. Right. If you hate them for it, and the fact that I'm going to hold them in the prison of my hate, what you literally do is you connect yourself to become like them. And you will live a less happy, more miserable life because of that poison they don't even think about you anymore. You think about them often. And you're just looking for an opportunity to get even. And all of a sudden, what happens is you become what you hate. If you think I'm making this up, there is people that have been abused as children and you would and hate their abuser, and you would think the last thing they would do would, would be ever to hurt another child, but they become an abuser of their own children. You have to know, if you've ever been done wrong, God is not the source. He did not cause it. But he can free you from it. And the, one of the greatest things that you can have is freedom from that pain. It doesn't mean you welcome those people back in your life. and It doesn't mean you put yourself in a position to have it done to you again. Right. That's right. I mean, we had a, a dear lady who's a grandma, and her whole life she hated God and raised her children to be atheists. And over the process of time, just got to know her. She worked at the restaurant that I would visit in those days. And she began to open up. And the problem, invited her to church. Oh, no, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Okay, you're welcome. We love people where they're at. But for people to be that angry at God, there's usually some deep hurt. Right. And for her, the problem was her, she had a single mom. Her mom was single and couldn't afford it. So they went back and lived with her mom's parents. And her grandfather molested her from the age of a young age all the way up to a teenager. And she would pray every night, God, don't let it happen again. And it would happen again, and she would blame God because he didn't answer her prayer. And she would think, I hate this God who's allowing this to happen. And God didn't do it. Right. The enemy did it. Exactly. But think of a crazy mixed up system that he will do it and then get them to blame God for it. And I remember the day she came up to me after a service, after actually coming to church and saying, I just want to let you know I've given my heart to the Lord and for the first time, I don't feel dirty. Because what happens to when you've been victimized? That, that thing tries to stay on you, connect to you. 
And it doesn't mean you should accept it or lie. No, no, you resist it. And one of the ways to resist it is to forgive that person, not because they deserved it. You let God deal with them. Amen. I had uh, someone do me wrong, and this verse came up. You know, where, where Saul was persecuting, I shared this before, Saul was persecuting the church until the road to Damascus, and Jesus showed up and blinded him and, and stopped him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you, persecu why are you persecuting me? See, when people attack you, you don't understand. Forgive them to release yourself from them and let Jesus deal with them. It, it's not a matter of they're getting off the hook. It's a matter of I'm going to put you in the fire. You think that that's a, a wrong thing? The Bible even, Jesus even said that, listen, if, you, if someone does you wrong, bless them, and it's like putting hot coals on them. Yep, exactly. That's Jesus talking. Yep. So you walk away, you say, I'm, I'm just going to forgive them, release them. By faith, I'm going to walk away from them because I don't want to be like them, and I'm going to live a life. That's the greatest thing you could ever do to get back at someone. Let anything they try not impact your life, and you have a better life. Amen. And Jesus said to Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I had the Lord speak to my heart one day in a, in a situation. He said, where are you in this verse? And I said, I'm not listed in the verse. He said, it's not about you anymore. It's between me and them. Well, you have that mentality of, Lord, I'm going to forgive them because it's going to be between you and them. I'm out of it. I'm going, to I'm going to live my life. I'm going to enjoy my life. I don't have to get even. I don't have to get back. I don't have to def defend myself. It's between the Lord and them, and he has a way. Are you listening to me? God has a way to fight. God doesn't let them off the hook. Right. Genesis 12, 2, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing, and I will curse those who curse you. Hallelujah. Like one minister said, when God says curse, he means dead. God doesn't mess around. You don't touch his children. You see, everybody's God's children. No. No, they're not. They have a right to be, and they have an opportunity to be, but if they choose not to be. Okay, moving right along. We are not going to make the buffet, folks. I am so sorry. <laughs> verse 13. I'm just trying. Verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. James tells us that when we're tempted with evil, it's not God tempting us, because God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man. But we're tempted of evil when we're drawn away of our own desires. This is a part of your prayer time. You need to say, Lord, I'm surrendering everything. Yeah. I am not going to... I guess the question here is, who's following who? And it's literally coming in alignment that I'm going to be... No longer the shepherd. You're the shepherd, Lord Jesus. Your word is the shepherd. You're the guide. I'm going to be the sheep. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. I don't always understand it, but God's ways are always the best ways, even when we don't understand. Amen. And, and deliver us from evil. And the last verse, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I got all, read all that just to get to this verse. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Let me, let me encourage you, before you stop praying, before you call it, I'm done, you need to end it with the praise. We started with a praise. We're going to end it with the praise. Amen. 
This is more than it's a good thing to do. This is more than it's a spiritual thing to do. This is more. Today I want to end in the next few minutes with this context. How to activate your praise and why you need to do it. It's more than a song. It is more than a song. It's a more than a thank you for answering my prayers. This becomes one of the most par- powerful part of your praise and, and of your prayer time. To activate this, this closing praise. I want you to understand the power of this. This is not there because Jesus was trying to sound good. This is not there because Jesus was trying to be repetitive. This is not there because it sounds spiritual. Here is a key element for you to step out of that moment of your time with him and begin to see God because you've activated this thing called praise in a way that devastates the enemy. When they begin to praise God, God turned the hearts of the enemy against themselves. I don't know about you, but I like to see when I get to work, if you work at a place that they are against you, and all of a find, finding out that the people that were plotting against you begin to plot against them, each other, and they took themselves out. Where's John? Oh, you won't believe it. John and, and, and they got in a fight, and they both got fired. I like God fighting for me, and we'll let the enemy all of a sudden have his, have his legs cut out before I even got there. Are you listening to me? I like the stories of those, those lepers who are walking and they're saying, we're going to die anyway. Why don't we just walk to the enemy's camp? And God's used their footprints. The footprints of a leper is not a stomping sound. But God took the soft steps of a leper that was moving in the right direction. Are you listening to me? We begin to equate our capabilities based on our direction. God, I can't do that. I'm not qualified yet. God says, you don't have to be qualified. You just need to be obedient. And he took the soft steps. I'm telling you, lepers don't step hard. They step soft. In the soft steps of a leopard, God magnified the sound of it and resonated into the ears of the enemy. And they thought an army was coming. And they panicked and began to kill each other. How much panic do you have to have before you start cutting the people next to you I want to I want you to think about that people can do some stupid stuff in fear and panic and that means they must have been in some amazing panic for all of a sudden that the solution of their panic is to kill the soldier that looks like them and I always wonder one day I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven exactly what happened to the very last guy Come on, guys, use your imagination. Read this thing. Like, because if they're all dead, there had to be one guy left. And did he look around and say, oh, no, I can't tell the king I'm the only one left. He'll kill me. I might as well kill. I mean, how did that play out? But they begin to walk into a place of plunder. They begin to walk into a place of plunder. Do you hear me? Study that story. They begin to walk. By the time they got there, the enemy had been annihilated, and they were walking into a provision that was of such nature because the prophet had already said, by this time tomorrow, everything's going to change. You are in famine today, but you're going to be in plunder tomorrow. You are in tight budget today, but you're going to be in excess tomorrow. There's going to be so much you have that you can't even contain it all. I feel that for in my spirit for somebody. What you have seen today is going to change by tomorrow. You're going to, as you obey God, you're going to step into a realm, step into a provision, step into a place where the enemy has intimidated others away from it. God will have already dealt with the enemy. And as you walk into this thing, you're going to find that your God is El Shaddai. He is the God of more than enough. Hallelujah. Say, I receive it in the name of Jesus. We're going to activate our praise at the end, just not at the beginning. 
We're not going to wait till we see it in the natural before we activate our praise because the activation of our praise is what ushers us in to the place to see it and hold it and carry it and tell it. If you wait for God to do it to where you see it before you praise him, you'll never see and handle it. But when you begin to understand the power of this praise, then you begin to say, I'm just not going to praise. I'm going to activate this thing called praise. That's a tangible heaven force that will usher me in to a place that I don't even deserve. I don't know about you. I'm ready to see you walk in things that you don't even deserve. Money that you don't even know how to handle yet. Jobs that you're not qualified for. Relationships, I'm telling you, you're going to walk in and begin to see God bring you to a place that's beyond your best in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I hear the Spirit of God saying to somebody, throw away that planning notebook that you have planned based on what you thought was possible and begin to look to the God who is more than enough. If you believe that, give him a praise. Next 30 seconds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's more than enough. Hallelujah. He's more than enough. He's a big God. He's, he's almighty. Psalms 34 verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. When you begin to activate the praise, here's a couple things that's going to happen. Number one, oh, magnify the Lord with me. When you magnify something, if you go into a science lab and you magnify it, what it, a magnifying magnifier allows you to see what has always been there that you could not see from your earlier perception. Let me say that again. That microscope allows you to bring into magnification, bring into clarity something that has always been there, but you had yet to see from your past perception. Your perspective, your position, your perception, something limits you to see what was always there. But when you are able to magnify it, then you can clarify clearly, see clearly what was always there. The problem is that God has, you're waiting for God to show up. He is everywhere at all times. And you need to see him for who he is. Even though you haven't seen him that way before. Even though it's not in the alignment of your past perception and position. But now we're going to activate our praise because I want to see him clearly in the goodness of his holiness. I want to see him for who he is. I don't want to just see him based on what they told me when I was a kid in Sunday school. I just don't want to see him based on what a preacher preached about him. I want to see him for myself. I want to know him that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. I'm not letting a singer do the magnifying and I sit and just do the clapping. No, you can take that to the bank and it won't work. We need somebody to lead, but it doesn't mean you sit there and observe. You need to walk into the house of God and say, I'm going to activate my praise because at the end of the day, there is things of God that we all are still yet to have seen. He is so big. He is so vast. He is so great. You cannot come to the end of his goodness. And if there's more to see, I want to see him. I'm going to magnify him. Because the, at the end of the day, the problem, are you listening? The problem is not with him. 
it's with me. We don't want to say it that way. Oh, it's God's fault. It's not God's fault. You don't see him correctly yet. But when you see him correctly, you're going to... Something's about to change. Look to your neighbor and say, something's about to change. Oh, magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord. It allows us to draw closer to him, to see more clearly. He inhabits the praises of his people. One translation means we are preparing a chair and he sits in it. But the best reality is you have to understand is that we're not creating a chair down here for him. He's already seated in heavenly places. And though it might appear to be an obscurity in the moment, it doesn't have to stay in obscurity. Do you know the psalmist says that he shrouds himself in obscurity? Why? Because he's so good that the casual onlooker has no right to access him. Are you listening? This is, this, is one of the, this is one of the pivotal methods of what we do, why we do it. We don't force feed people Jesus. Some people do. That's their way. I'm not, I'm not against it. i got to find my rhythm. i got to run the race set before me. I look at it this way. He is so good that I'm not going to short sell him like he's a busted, broken down car that I'm trying to dump on somebody else. He is so good. If you don't want him, that's fine. That's between you and him. If you don't want to go to heaven, that's fine. I'm going to heaven. If you don't want to eat from the table of provision, that's fine. I still love you. But don't stop me from putting it in my, in my life. If you don't... He is too good. Well, I don't believe that. Then you're welcome not to believe it. And I'll still love you. But you're not going to stop me from the table of God. Because I've magnified him enough that I know enough that he's so good that there's still so much more that I need to get. Hallelujah. He's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than the doctor's report. He's bigger than the impossibility. He's bigger than the lack and death. He's bigger than the pain. He's bigger than every demon in hell combined in one moment. They cannot stand in the presence of God. Hallelujah! Someone shout hallelujah. Look to your neighbor and say, you're going to make it. And boy, I mean big time, you're going to make it big time. Ephesians. So in his obscurity, doesn't mean that he needs to stay in obscurity to your perspective. Because Paul tells the church of Ephesus in chapter 1, I pray that God would give you the, the spirit, the anointing of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. We need that perception change. Just like the, the, the prophet's servant who said, what are we going to do? There's an army around the city that, and they're after you. And the, the prophet was probably nervous because he understood that if they come for you, I'm next. And probably they'll throw me in front of you to protect you. I'm going to be the first one gone. And the prophet said, there's more for us than against us. And he said, oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, the prophet prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. I said, oh, come on, somebody. What was it? The servant was only seeing from the carnal perspective. He did not understand the spiritual perspective. Something that was already always there that gave peace to the prophet. But it was turmoil to the servant. And the change was not a change on who's out there. The change wasn't getting the enemy to walk away and leave him. The change was your perspective needs to be changed. God opened his eyes. 
Sometimes we need to pray, open my eyes, God, to see this. Lord, I'm feeling intimidation, open my eyes. Because I want to be in faith, Hebrews 4, which is rest. And the prophet said, God opened his eyes that he can see. And when he opened his eyes, he saw an army that was way more, that were fiery angels. And they had chariots. Hallelujah. And there was more for them than against them. And the Bible, if you look it up in the King James, it said where the enemy was around the city, the angels were around the man of God. Because the devil could only find the city. But God knew exactly where the man of God was. So Paul said, God, give them the anointing of revelation, understanding that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, open, so that they might know the hope of his calling, what the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, stay with me, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him up on high, far, 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 that's part of my translation, far above all principality and power and dominions and might and name and any name, past, present, or future. And it doesn't stop there. Right. Verse 2, I mean, verse 6 of chapter 2 says, And has raised us up together and made us sit together. Where? In heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Where is he? Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father, far above all principality power. And he's the head of the body, of, which is the church. And brought, everything's brought under his feet. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Are you listening to me? And then it doesn't stop there. We're seated. So I'm seated. You say, I'm, I'm sitting right here. I'm not sitting up there. You understand the seat represents a position of authority. When you begin to magnify him, not only do you begin to see with clarity what was always there that you didn't see before, but you begin to see not through obscurity, but clarity who God is. But also in your worship, when you activate this thing called praise, not only do you begin to have a better picture for, because you're magnifying him, a better picture of who he is, you get a better picture of who you are in him. You want a good study, start doing a, a New Testament study on the word in him, in Christ, and find out who you are in Jesus. And all of a sudden, while you're praising him, you get a better magnification of him. He's always been there. But now you begin to see who you are. Oh, come on, somebody. For the prodigal came to himself. And he said, why am I living like this? Where my father so generous, even his servants have more than enough. Why am I living like this? I'm telling you, when you, when you get that perspective, you know one of the things that will happen? You'll kind of look and say, why am I allowing the devil to kick my teeth in today? Why am I allowing this, this doctor's report to be the final report? Why am I allowing myself to go through this? Why am I allowing myself to cry so hard all day over this? Why am I allowing, you're saying, oh, you don't understand. You know, you don't understand. Why am I allowing, you, all of a sudden you come to yourself. You activate that praise because you need to see him clearly, but you activate the praise that allows you to see who you're called to be clear. As long as you're being timid with it, and I'm telling you folks, it's a tactic of the enemy to cause people to be timid and passive in the kingdom.
For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and sound mind. That word is timidity. Why? Because when you're timid, what do you do? You let the bully do whatever he wants. Can I just be honest? I don't believe in bullying. I don't, I don't know if I should go down this road. Because there is some bullying that's just way beyond. But I remember growing up being bullied. I don't know if you were ever bullied. And I'm not thankful for those who bullied me. But I'm thankful that somewhere in the mix of it, I had enough. And I remember clearly as a grade school kid. And the bully would pick on me, beat me up every day. And finally I came to, came to a place of enough's enough. And I plotted when I get to school the next day, I'm going to challenge that bully. I am tired of him picking, me, picking on me on the bus, on the bus stop, and in school. Enough's enough. And when I got there, I was looking for him. And he had to know something was different because I wasn't running from him. I wasn't acting scared of him. I was looking for him. And I remember this like it was yesterday. And it's only been 10 years ago. Come on, somebody. Help preacher feel good about his age. Come on. And I remember and him saying something smart to me. I was just looking for anything. I walked right up to him, got in his face. What'd you say? Yeah, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to fight you right now. You're not going to fight me. I'm going to fight you right now. I'm going to take you down. No, you, you know what he did? He backed away. You know what ticks you off when you've been finally standing up to a bully and he doesn't let you swing on him one time? I mean, I was ready to go, Dr. Rob. I, was, I mean, I was like, and that fool backed away who do you think you are you've been tormenting me for months if not years I was scared of you and the moment I stood up to you see I'm not into bullying but and I think everything can go a pendulum swing are you with me so if you've been bullied welcome to life I can't wait to get out of high school. It's going to happen probably. Can't wait to get out of college. It's going to happen in the wor workforce. And we have tried to sanitize and protect people from being bullied. It's like trying to keep people from germs. Do you know if you're, they, they say that it, the immune system of certain generations is better than the newer generation because our generation, we ate dirt. Come on, somebody. <laughs> We didn't have no clean room. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We didn't have, we only had three channels on the TV. And after a certain time, they went off at night. You know, we didn't have no games. We didn't have, I'm not against all the technology. I'm just saying, it was like outside. You played outside, rode your bike, did whatever, just be home before the, the street lights come on. It was like summer, what'd you do? I don't know, because we, it was all great until my, Courtney showed up eight years younger, and then she's like, she's sleeping, stay outside. It's 100 degrees out. I don't think we even had water. Don't wake up the baby. We had to entertain ourselves. We had to, do, we had to be outside. How many people know what I'm talking about? We ate dirt. We ate stuff. See, in our generation, they had to tell us not to chew other people's gum. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. You don't tell them now because they just know better. They've been so, they're so sanitized from many bacteria. Don't touch the doorknob. What do you mean don't touch the doorknob? Right? You'd go to school and you'd be like, come on, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, what are you doing? You're looking for the next piece of gum. Do you see the balance? So what happens is that we've tried to create such a germ-free world that they say now what has happened is kids grow up and their immune systems aren't as strong because they never had to fight any immune or any bacteria growing up. Do you see my balance? I'm not saying go lick every doorknob so you can be healthy in a year. I'm not saying that. Keep everything in balance. Everything in balance. I'm not saying that bullying is good. Okay? Keep everything in balance. But if we create an environment that everybody's accepted by everything and everyone, then we have lowered our threshold of being strong within ourselves. And the first person that disagrees, we think it's the end of the world. You mean I didn't get a trophy just for showing up? No. You lost. You're in last place. You came in fifth and there was only five teams. And as a result, we think that we need to win every time. And if we fail at something, the world comes to an end. It doesn't come to an end. But uh, there, there needs to be a tenacity on the inside that when a bully shows up, that we just, it's not that, oh, he's going to hurt me. Yeah, but you could probably get in a punch or two. Is that wrong for a preacher to say in the pulpit? Now, if your kid gets beat up this week, don't blame it on me. You should have taught him how to fight. Right? There's something about standing up and having enough is enough that you're like, listen, this might hurt me. I might come out all messed up on it, but enough's enough. I'm going to stand my ground. And you know what has happened in the church world? That idea, I believe it's demonic, has brought everything. Let's just all love and greed. Let's all, let's not, we don't rock, let's just all talk soft and squint our eyes. Where are the men and women of God when the demon try to walk in their house and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, out you go, no you don't, get back devil, you have no right here, you have a, no, no authority here, I don't care what the doctor says, enough is enough, get to stepping, I'm looking for you now. Where is that tenacity that's got to come back in the church world? So you failed. Repent. Shake off the dust. Get back up. The game's not over. And go to work. Get doing what you know to do. They don't like me. Guess what? They didn't like you before. Now you know. They're just not ready for you. But you don't have to spend your energy trying to make them ready. Find who God's called you to be with. tenacity to all of a sudden why am I letting the devil knock me around enough is enough and when you begin to stand up with that kind of tenacity you know what most demons will do 
They don't want to mess with somebody that's getting ready to. Do you know how much authority you have over that demon? Jude tells us that you could cast them in chains of darkness. Don't mess with me. They beg Jesus, please don't just cast us out. Throw us into those pigs. Because when they're cast out, they got to go through dry places. Hey, devil, you thought it was a vacation. You ready to go to a dry place? You better get to stepping quick. Are you listening to me? Don't accept everything that knocks on the door of your life. You can have authority. You can have a right to say, not here. Even though you let the door open for the last 15 years. Starting today, it's a new day. You'll only open for the voice of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Let me end this thing. Because we've done missed breakfast, lunch, and now we're getting ready to... Hallelujah. When I talk like that, that tells me that I did not eat a big enough breakfast. That's what it tells me. In closing, how do we activate our praise? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. By him, let us, by him, therefore, let us offer. So it's by his ability, but we have to offer something. What am I offering? The sacrifice of praise. To God continually or in every situation. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. I want you to stop for a second. What we miss in our modern translation and our modern perspective is the understanding of a sacrifice. And I'll make this quick. Because in the Old Testament, in that culture, they understood this. When you would do a sacrifice, it wasn't just kill something. You had to find something of great value. To, for a sacrifice, it had to be accepted for it to be worth anything. Cain and Abel. And God even told Cain, isn't it not, if you do the right thing, I'll let you, you repent, do the right thing, it'll, be go, it'll go well with you. But if you don't do the right way, it won't be accepted. And so uh, anything is not acceptable. So in the Old Testament, when they have to offer up a sacrifice, they understood that just because they did it didn't mean it was accepted. And when it was accepted, it would be consumed by fire. That's why activating this praise is so powerful. Because you're doing it by his ability, and you're offering something, and you're looking for fire. You're looking for the presence and the anointing of God. And so literally, when they would, do a, they would do a sacrifice, if it was acceptable from heaven, in the Old Testament, fire from heaven would come down and consume it. Which is a cool story when you think about how the prophet of God, Elijah, told all the prophets of Baal, you know what, let's each do a sacrifice, and the God who answers by he was, he was just being ornery. He was setting, him, setting them up. Because he knew that if God accepted his sacrifice, it would be honored by fire. And Baal would never be able to do that. He wasn't just randomly picking something. He knew the process. So sacrifice, if it's accepted, is consumed by fire. Representing now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit. For John the Baptist said, referring to Jesus, I baptize you with water and repentance, but there's one coming after me. I'm not worthy to unloosen his sandals. That he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with. So a sacrifice, under their culture, under their understanding, they knew that a sacrifice had to be, when it was sacrificed, it would have to be acceptable. By fire. They also knew that a sacrifice had to be something that was of great value. 
when they would sacrifice every year the Passover lamb or the Pesach in the Hebrew, it wasn't just a lamb. Literally, it's the spotless, perfect lamb. And they would, God told them to bring it in and let everybody get connected to it emotionally. Because otherwise, there's a disconnect. And it's easy to see people die if there's an emotional disconnect. But when there's a great value, and you know the person, then, then it, it moves you more. Right. And so it wasn't just a dog. It was your puppy that you raised. It wasn't just your pet. Do you see my point? So when you emotionally connect to it, so God said, bring that lamb, that perfect spotless lamb of great value, and bring it into the house for a period of time so that you get to know it, and then you're going to sacrifice it. Because God wanted them to understand the process of what he was about to do through his son. That Jesus just wasn't somebody, it was someone of great value that had a great cost. And so they would bring that lamb in and they would, so it was of great value, it was a great cost. It meant something to them. When you offer up the sacrifice of praise, and here's what I'm trying to close with. When you offer up a sacrifice of praise, it's just not a praise. It's a praise that is of value and a praise that has a cost. You want to know something that's of value? And I encourage you to do this. And maybe, I, I don't think I've ever said this before. I believe, and you can disagree, I believe there needs to be a, a place in your life that is only isolated just for God in your praise. Listen, that doesn't mean you just praise him. I mean that there is a response to him in praise that you give nobody or nothing else that response. So if my praise to Jesus sounds like my praise at a basketball game, you don't, you're not at the level I'm talking about. It doesn't mean you have to be louder. Because for some, it might not be the way you're wired in your worship and praise. It might not be being super loud. For some, it might be you kneeling before the Lord and kneeling like you would never kneel for anything or anyone else. It's the, it's the mindset of your praise that I'm going to offer to you something that I will, will not offer to anything or anyone else. Yeah. That, is a, that is in nature the definition of intimacy. Because the closer you are with somebody, the more, the more they know of you that others don't. Right. And the highest part of intimacy in the natural would be your spouse who sees you in the vulnerability of you that nobody else sees. And so it's coming to the perspective of praise that I'm going to praise you. I'm going to do in my praise. It might be jumping. I'm going to jump, and I don't jump for anybody else. It might be I'm going to run, and I don't run for anybody else. I'm going to get to this volume, and I refuse to get that volume for anything else. Whatever it is, have a place in your praise. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Have a place in your praise where you have an agreement. God, this is what I'll do, and I'll dance only for you. Like I'll not dance like this for anybody else. For me personally, it's weeping. You'll never see me cry. But I cry before him. Because it's a, it's a point of vulnerability that personally I offer to him that I refuse to offer to anything else. You take that praise of God, I'm going to offer the highest praise. I'm going to offer you to something that I won't do at a, at a sports, at a game, at, a, at an award ceremony. If you do for him what you do for everyone, it's not unique. But if you have something you'll do for nobody but him, it becomes 
Yes. Am I stretching your faith a little bit today? Yes. I'm not the one to tell you what it is. It's between you and him. Right. And you can say, Lord, what is it in my life that I need to do in my praise that demonstrates that this is just for me and to you? And I'll not do it for anybody else. You start praising him that way. As long as you're coming in and everything's in your comfort zone, in your praise. That's why we tell people, praise in your authentic way. Because for some people, clapping might be just moving you beyond your comfort zone. I don't know. And it will change as you grow. But God will say, I want you to raise your hands now. I, God, I'm comfortable clapping. I'm not going to do that hand raising thing. I heard that could be kind of weird. I'm not too into that yet. Raise your hand. Why? Because God is wanting you to do something that you won't do for, in your comfort zone. He wants to see what you'll do in praise that you won't do for everybody else. It is a praise that activates a level of sacrifice that brings and allows him to say that's something I can accept because what you're doing for to me and for me in praise you didn't do it at the basketball game you didn't do it when you got a raise you didn't do it when you this happened you didn't do it for that but you're only doing it for me I accept that and now I'm sending my fire a praise that's kept only for him Offer up, activate that praise, the sacrifice, the sacrifice of praise. Would you bow your head? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Speak to our hearts right now. Touch the lives of your people. Holy Spirit, come. Minister to your people right now. We thank you for healing. We thank you for deliverance. We thank you for lives being changed. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, the chains are broken. In the name of Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not asking if you know about God. I'm asking in the way you process, in the way you experience, in the way you understand, is Jesus Christ real to you today in a way that you know for yourself that he's really your Lord and Savior? Only you can answer that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is the day this is your opportunity. If you don't know him or you've allowed stuff to come between you and God and you know your heart's not right or if the devil's been messing with you and telling you that, that you're not saved and you really don't know now, any of those three are you. This is your chance to make things right, to know for sure, to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Pray this prayer with me. Let it come from your heart. Say with me, Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins. I turn to you today. I believe in my heart. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He came to this earth in the flesh, died on a cross for my sins, was buried for me, and on the third day rose again for me. Because I believe that. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, wash me in your blood, forgive me, Cleanse me. Give me a fresh start. Say, Jesus, I open up the door of my heart and life. 
and I invite you in to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, just so I know who I was praying with, at the count of three, I want you to lift your hands. One, two, three. Pastor, I was praying that prayer with you. Who was it? One, two. Keep them up if you would. One, two, three. God bless you. Four, five, six, seven. Amen. Eight, nine. God bless you. Ten, up. Ten, eleven. Anybody over here? Twelve, thirteen. Fourteen. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Keep your hands raised. I'm going to speak a blessing over them. Keep your hands raised if you prayed that prayer. First, welcome to the family of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, according to your word, we seal them. I thank you that they are sealed by the precious Holy Spirit. And we, I ask you to strengthen them with might by your spirit and the inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit. Give them a strength, a tenacity that they've never experienced before. That would give them peace and joy in believing. But that enable them to stand up against sin and to stand up for what you called them to do. We thank you for that. We curse every curse set against them. And any relationship that has been assigned to distract them, we curse and bind in the name of Jesus. We set them free to see the way you want them to see. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you. And everyone shouted, Amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer... And you want to let us know. We don't chase people. We don't hound people. We don't control people. But if you want to let us know so we can reach out to you, make sure you have a Bible, uh, answer questions, be here for you. Pray with you if you need prayer. Uh, Freedom, why don't you stand up? He'll be down here uh, following the service. Or you can go across the hallway to our guest center. And uh, Debbie's over there. They're both part of the care pastor team. And so it's an opportunity. The reason we don't just take your name and call you is to me that's a cold call. Nobody likes it. And so we want to make a connection so you see the face, the voice, hear the voice, and know that we'll reach out to you. Again, not to control you, to be here for you. I don't believe in us driving your car. Jesus doesn't want the wheel. He wants you to have the wheel, and you obey what he tells you to do. Amen? Amen? Give him a hand clap for those who prayed their prayer.